quick shout out and thank you to our gold sponsors in EQT Ventures and Amaze, without which we would cease to exist. It has come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. Welcome to Talk Tank. Hi listeners, welcome back to your favourite podcast. Today's episode gives a glimpse into the life of Rachel Carell, who in 2016 founded the childcare company Kauru Kids, a company which has now racked up a total of £14.1 million in funding. Rachel's business aims to make leaving a legacy on this earth a whole lot easier by sorting out the three main issues plaguing the childcare industry at the moment. High costs, low quality and having to sort it out sometimes a year in advance. She talks about the importance of soaking up as much knowledge as you can and the underlying principles which have made Corey Kids both a pleasure to be a customer of and to work at. Hope you guys enjoy. Roll the intro. Yeah. Anyone can conclude that you've been uh, quite motivated and ambitious from a young age. Yep. I hope you're blushing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you were born and raised in New Zealand, which is where you've got your funky accent from. Uh, you completed your undergraduate in linguistics. You then received your sliding door moment, I yep. believe you've called it, uh, where you complete, where you got an all-expense-paid scholarship to Oxford. Yes. For, and you earned your master's in philosophy and a distinction in international development. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, during these studies, you've also you were also a travelling writer and editor at the United. You've like, attended United yep. Nations conferences. Uh, you were then, of course, the strategy consultant at McKinsey for six years. Yeah. Uh, you went on to work in the strategy team for London NHS. Uh, and which led on nicely to being the CEO of Dr. Tom. Yeah. Cool. Which is the world's online uh, doctor service, largest in the world. It was at the time, but I don't think it is anymore, but at the time it was. Right, okay, <laughs> when you were CEO. <laughs> yeah, uh, built your, it, you built that up from like a break even point to then getting fair profits. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then I believe at some point within that husband bustle, you had a child. Yep. Which made you realise, or more like get into the circle of being with lots of mums, like realising how messed up the yes. childcare industry is. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. And then you began your, I think you chewed on the idea of like, Corey Kid yeah. for around two years. Yep. And then you. It's great, this is the easiest quiz in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought if I'll say all the things that you can easily Google, then uh-huh. you'll dip into everything Amazing. Else. Cool, so uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, where do we start, like where you started? So you had the idea, right. so you had a conversation with your friend, and she, and you were like, had this idea of like, either a healthcare idea or like a childcare yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, do you, I don't know, if you want to tell that story? That would be yeah, really so I, I definitely knew I always wanted to start a business and um, I've always been, um, like, just, oh, I've always been into kind of little startups. We didn't call them startups then, we just called it like making money, you know? <laughs> we, were, we were like, you know, seven, eight, ten, twelve. Like, I always did little things. Um, always had little side hustles before people talked about side hustles. And so I kind of always knew, and then I, at, you know, at, at high school I was really intru- uh, involved in um, Young Enterprise um, Scheme in New Zealand. And um, uh, anyway, so I kind of always knew that I wanted to start a business. And um, it just took me a really long time to figure out what, I, that what thing I was really passionate about. And one of the things that I, one of the things my friend Alice, who you mentioned, who's just founder of Beer, um, one of the things that she said to me was, you have to be kind of emotionally committed to this. You, you, have, you have to have a 10-year horizon of like, because it takes 10 years to achieve anything of value, she basically said. Now, there are some EF companies that exit for enormous sums, like quite substantially quicker than that. But I think like 10 years is a good, is a good rule of thumb. And so I kind of had this benchmark in my head of like, this needs to be something that will sustain me for 10 years, like a huge chunk of my life. And... Um, 
And so I started casting about for like, what am I gonna, what am I gonna found? And I had these couple of ideas. And one of them was, like you say, was in healthcare. It was this diagnostic lab testing idea. And my background had been healthcare. I think it was actually, like, on its merits, I think it was a good idea. And, um, and then this other idea was to do with mums. And it was basically what evolved into becoming a Corrigan's idea. And so I went to see Alice. And I said to her, I've got these two ideas. And she said, well, just think about, like, for the next 10 years of your life, if you do this diagnostic lab testing idea, you're going to be hanging out with like medical laboratory scientists. You're going to be in hospitals. You're going to be in laboratories. You're going to be going to like, um, you know, conferences and like talking to technicians. There's that life, right? Or there's this other life where you're hanging out with mums and babies, and you're going to like breastfeeding drop-ins, and you're kind of thinking about little kids all the time, and like just decide which life you want. And it was kind of beautiful the way she said it because it was like there was no judgment. It was it was like it wasn't like one of these ideas was better or worse than the other. It was just like well, which one is for you? <laughs> and obviously, as soon as she said that, I was like, well, that's very obvious which which life I want. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure lab scientists are like very nice people, <laughs> but it's, it's just not me. That life is just not me. Um, and and so you know now. One of, the, one of the amazing, I think this was a very powerful insight from Alice, and one of the amazing things that I now find is that because I made that decision, my life feels very aligned. Like, um, you know, what I was just doing, like, when you, just when you were, we were sort of setting up here, and I was like, ah, I have to do this thing, like, I, I, was like book, I was like, I have to book a ticket. The thing that I was booking was a carol service tomorrow tomorrow that I am going to go to with my kids oh. and um, it's a fundraiser for Tommy's which is a children's charity and I've been like helping sell these tickets and I suddenly realized that I did not myself buy a ticket which is obviously very bad because I'm like on the committee and so I had to like buy this ticket before they sold out and uh, anyway but it, but all of that is extremely aligned like um, you know the fact that I'm I run a business for kids I am on the committee of something of a carol service for children, which is raising money for a children's charity, and I'm taking my children to it. Like, do you see it? Everything goes together, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's it's you know it's the only way that my my life can possibly work is that like everything is pulling in the same direction. Mm. So it was actually very important that conversation with Alice. So you think it's kind of like the two things, like being a mum and being a founder of a childcare thing, both kind of bounce each other so you're improving at both at the yeah same time. I totally totally like they they really they really work together for me like you know what I um when I went on holiday recently um oh you do go on holiday I do sometimes <laughs> that's so nice I snuck away um so I was on holiday and um uh you know I was with my kids and I was reading a book and but the book I'm reading is about child development I love child like I'm really interested in child development and I'm like with my I'm, so basically I'm learning I'm reading a book on like how to be a better mom and I'm with my kids and like I find it really interesting and it is fun for me but also but that's also great for my business because I also think well how can this you know the stuff I'm reading about child development how can we bring that into training and so so just it's just like I, I honestly I don't believe in work-life balance like I mean fine like <laughs> other people can do whatever they want like if other people need it that I'm not I'm certainly not making any judgment on anyone else I'm solely talking about myself like for me it is much more powerful to have alignment I think I think a lot more about alignment mm, that's very nice and so I, I wanted to ask whether you feel like you could have even grown Cory Kids to the same extent if you actually weren't a mum because oh, that's so interesting I there are people working in a bit in childcare um more more in, and like doing I, I meet a lot of people who are doing like what they call parent tech um, which involves, you know, a whole lot of things from like, um, like baby monitors to whatever. Like automating parents. <laughs> well, I mean, not in a bad way, but like, yeah. like a baby monitor, for example, you know, like a better baby monitor. Um, or like an app to help parents find fun things to do with kids on the weekend. Like there's a whole range of different things. And definitely there are a lot of people who work in this field who don't have kids. And I, like... That does mean they can do things like, you know, they can work longer hours or they can properly rest at weekends. Like, there's a lot of advantages to it, um, for sure. But I do th also think, yeah, ha like, having my own kids has just given me such an insight into the problems and also 
kind of a way of talking to par- other parents about mm. like their problems as well. So I, I, it's definitely it's helped with sort of the ideas around it and definitely the inspiration. So what's the I mean, uh, yeah, I guess someone said this um, about their like products. They were like, I'm, I originally am solving a problem that I found. So like every day I'm talking to a customer because <laughs> yeah. I'm always with myself. And, yes. yeah, and like, I think you use obviously childcare yeah. for kids. Yeah, definitely. There is a bit of a, there is a bit of a trap though, because um, uh, I am not a normal person. I'm a bit weird and you have to recognize your own blind spots and limitations. You know, just as one tiny example, like I am a like ridiculous Facebook user. I use Facebook so much. I probably, I've probably logged into Facebook like 20 times today, for example. And um, and I know, because we've just been doing some user testing um, and interviews and stuff over the last couple of days for, for one particular thing. And, um, you know, I've, I've been talking to some parents who, who literally don't have a Facebook account. And so it's, it's stuff like recognizing that the way I think about my digital life is very different to the way that some people think about their digital life. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, and so a lot of your marketing is it it's on like social media platforms. Yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot. But we do we do all sorts of things and we've um you know, we also do like offline flyers and we've done tube and like we've done all sorts of things. Um can I ask why you were you said you had like all your side hustles and why yeah. why were you actually interested in enterprise from such a young age? My parents basically I don't remember them restricting my purchases. Like, I think if I made money, I think I was allowed to just buy sweets. And, and I really like them a lot. So I used to like do little, just do little things, like around, either around the house and money. And then as I got older, I did, like I did a lot of babysitting and I, um, I then started raising money. I was always raising money for stuff. I was sweets when I was little. Sweets, yeah. Sweets, yeah, basically. And then, um, but I remember at one point, I, I really wanted to go, I studied German at high school, and um, I really wanted to go to Germany on school exchange. And this was quite a big deal because I'm from New Zealand, so go, to go from New Zealand to Germany is like very far. It's a big, big trip when you're 16. And... Um, uh, and I remember coming home and saying to saying to mum and dad, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do this Germany school exchange, and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna raise half. And if I raise half, you're gonna pay the other half. And I I remember it wasn't like asking. It was like here's what's gonna happen. Yeah. I like I was like this is a good deal for you. Like I'm I'm gonna really do a lot. And I think they agreed because I don't think they I think they thought I I think they just agreed because I think they thought I could do it because it was a lot of money. It was like the whole thing was gonna cost you know, like $3,000 or something, and I was going to have to raise one and a half thousand, which was a lot of money that I was going to have to raise. And so I think they were like, yeah, 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 Rachel, whatever. And, you know, this is going to happen. <laughs> and, and I absolutely threw myself into it. And I did, and I had all these fundraising schemes. And like, I, you know, I bought, I remember I bought, um, like from this bakery, I, I took pre-orders for all these pastries and I sold them to the teachers at like a markup and I made money that way. And I got chocolate bars, and I used to like have they have this box that I'd carry around school, and like people could buy chocolate bars from me, and I made some money through that. And I like fly my neighbourhood to do babysitting, and I did. Um, I I was um very into like music and orchestras and stuff, so I did. I gave music lessons. I like I did all sorts of things, and I did raise the the amount of money I went to Germany. So this was like the, the side hustles were always like focused on something yeah uh, i guess that's the best way to do it and can i and you went to germany and i went to germany <laughs> that's so cool um okay so could you probably this is good if you could just describe a bit more about actually the service you provide yeah yeah so what we do is um we recruit train nannies to become um uh, after school nannies for kids and um, we recruit lo- a lot of students um, and um, we, what we do is we, um, uh, we have a little bit of training, we give them uh, first aid training, we DBS check them, um, do interviews and references and then um, they can get a, um, a job with, um, with a family and um, usually the job is from three th- roughly about 3.30 until about 6.30 every day. So it involves picking up kids from school, um, taking them to their to the to their house, as in the kids' house, 
Um, and then kind of doing like, like a, the, the three hour shifts. So um, that means giving them a little bit of food, playing with them, maybe doing a bit of homework help. Um, and uh, yeah, just, just having fun with kids. Usually the kids are aged roughly about four to 10 because they're school age kids, it's after school. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's what we do. And uh, so is it this after school period because you realise that this is actually the thing that most of these mums have been like, oh, what did I do? Yeah, well, the, well, part of the reason I started doing, I started working on childcare specifically, um, as you said before, is I had a baby and I realised how horrendous childcare was. And there are so many problems with it. After school is, the after school period is very tough. One in three London schools does not have an after school club, which is an astounding statistic. Mm -hmm. What, what is even more astounding than that is that that is not even an officially collected statistic. I figured that out. I did 32 Freedom of Information requests to the 32 boroughs of London, aggregated all the results, and then... And then and what, one of the things I, I get very annoyed about is I think childcare is so disrespected as a problem that that, that stat was not even collected. And you know, imagine if one-third of London did not have water, right? Like, that would yeah. be front page news, and yet one third of London doesn't have childcare, like after school. And, and we, we, we don't see this as essential urban infrastructure, and it is essential urban infrastructure. And the reason that we don't see it like that, I think, is no mystery. It's because childcare is overwhelmingly produced by women and consumed by women. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's, it was this huge under the radar problem. And when I first started becoming aware of childcare as a problem, I kind of assumed that there was would be some system. I thought you start off in, um, uh, you know, you, you, you go through university, you work hard, you get your first job, you work hard, you kind of, mm. like, things will happen, and then you'll have a, have a kid, and then you, there'll be a system, and then you'll kind of resume your career. I think that's how it worked. And it doesn't work like that. There isn't a system. It's broken in so many ways. It's incredibly expensive. It's exhausting. It's patchy. The supply isn't there. Ch after school is one problem, but there are many other problems. And so that's that is why I founded Coro Kids was um, to to build what should already exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you, there's also really great fact uh, where you said. Uh, on average, for a full-time nanny in central London, it costs £37,000, which is actually ridiculous. It's insane, and right? It's, and yeah. that comes out of your post-tax salary. So mm -hmm. you, you need to be earning, like, £50,000 to afford a nanny, and that, that that's with 100% of your, your what you earn going to the nanny. Like, <laughs> it's nuts. That's, you don't even have to pay for anything else in your life. So nanny care is unbelievably expensive. Nursery is not even that much cheaper. I mean, nursery, where, where I am, nursery can be like £20,000 a year, just still, again, comes out of your post-tax salary. It's a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. If you have twins, like, God help you, because you don't get much of a discount, you know, and then, and then you're back, like, the, you're kind of in nanny territory again. So what happens is, if that happens, like, you, you can't really work. Yeah, 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 so true. And I believe you said... That it's like three prongs Cory kids try to attack. So like one, obviously you want to like nurture the child and you do that also by like helping the parents' mental health by like sorting out all of this. It's like end to end what, yes. you, what you guys try and do, like payroll, contracts, training, like you sort out all of these things for the parent. And so obviously you're also helping the parents and then you're also giving employment to like students mostly and also like older retired mostly women who've like already obviously brought up like children and grandchildren have so much ex expertise uh yeah and it's really cool because i think you called it as like called it like the airbnb where like you're already yeah. using this like spare capacity in like all these areas which is really that's right very, very admirable. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you think there's been innovation in childcare previously? I think it was a weirdly under the radar market. And when I first started going out and talking to investors, I had to do quite a lot of work to convince them that this was a big market. Mm. Now I think they've cottoned on. Um, <laughs> I don't have those conversations anymore. But back, back in the day, like three, two, three years ago, I did. Um, 
And I think, so that's the first reason, weirdly under the radar. Um, and I think the other thing is, um, it's really freaking hard. Like, it is emotional, it's operational, like, it's very high stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit like healthcare in that way. Like, healthcare is also very high stakes. Like, you can't, it's very little room for error. And this is the same, same with childcare. Whereas, you know, many other categories of thing, like if we were doing shoes or, you know, jewellery or whatever, it's just, it's just a, it's just a less emotional, less high stakes thing. Um, so it's just very, um, it's very complicated. It's not the kind of industry where you can just like make an app and then you're done. Um, and I think people have tried to do that. Like there, there are people who've tried to just like make a, whatever, a website, mm-hmm. and, but not actually engage with the complexity and the people. And um, that doesn't work. Um, so in the first two weeks of your business, <laughs> you, I think you set yourself a target. You like say, so I've got this idea and I've got, I'm just going to say like by the end of two weeks, I want like 20 or 30 yeah. signups. Um, and you were like, if I don't get that, I'm dropping it, it's fine, chill. Um, so if you could just explain a little bit about how you and Squarespace manage yeah. that, that would be really... <laughs> yeah, cool. I wish I could remember the target. I think, I, I, I don't remember, maybe it was 30 or something. But it, um, what happened was I decided that I had this idea and I thought, well, I'll just, tr- I'll just really try for two weeks. And then if I hit my target, then I'll quit my job. And um, so I tried some stuff and I was like talking about it on social media, talk, 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 and nothing was happening. <laughs> and then I hit on the, on the right channel, which was like the right form of words to the right people. And, um, and I remember I, was, I met someone for lunch and I had my phone with me and I put my, um, uh, I put my, phone, like, my phone number on the website. <laughs> And my phone rang, and I was like, oh, that's weird, someone calling about that. <laughs> someone looking at my website, obviously. And, uh, and then my phone rang again, and then my phone rang again, and I was like, what has happened? And what had happened was I had sent this message, and then I'd gone to lunch, and I'd finally found, I'd finally hit on like, the form of words that was working. And so all these people poured in. Um, I mean, when I say all these people, it was like 20, but it was, it was like <laughs> enough, right, to, yeah. to make me think, okay, whatever the number was, 20 or 30, it was like, this is, this is the number of, like, it, it won't be this number of people who are mad, you know, like, you can get kind of, like, two people or something who are not representative, but I think I've really got something. So from that point, when you were like, yeah, I've got it, then, I don't know, like, how do you know, because I've had such a thing where, like, entrepreneurs like, I'm like, what was your game plan, like, what was yeah. your passion, and they were like, yeah, I was just winging it, and, like, obviously that's true to an extent, yeah. but, like, like, when you're winging it, what even is the process? I, I mean, I think you're never not winging it. Like, I mean, I would say right now we've definitely wing. Like, I don't know what the future, you know, the, the next month or whatever. We've, we've got plans, but nothing really ever goes to plan. Um, so, yes, definitely winging it. Yeah. Um, but I think winging it, like, according to some principles. And one of the cool things about startups nowadays is... Um, there is so much advice out there, which there didn't used to be. I, I've got some friends who um, founded their first business like in the kind of early 2010s or the end, or like around you know 2008, like that kind of year. And um, what they say is that like London was just very different then, and there wasn't a lot of advice, and there were kind of a small number of people who kind of knew who were like the bench capitalists, and they were the ones that you went and talked to for advice. And it's, it's just, and also, you know, they say that it was very hard and very lonely and they, they thought that there was something wrong with them because they were finding it uh-huh. really difficult. And now it is so different. Like, there is, the internet is full of advice on every single bit about starting a, you know, starting a business. There are podcasts, there are, like, books, there's just everything. And all you need to do is read it. Um, and I do find it funny. I sometimes get, quite often I get, like, approached by, approached people asking for my advice on things and they they ask these like really big questions like do you have any tips on fundraising i'm like read <laughs> go and google it like there's so much information out there now like, you're so lazy <laughs> you don't deserve my advice well i know i'm very i'm so happy to help people but I, I i always say like do you have any specific questions or i'm like go and read this book and then <laughs> um so so but but so 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 what that means is because there isn't so much stuff out there I um I just read it like and and I just did what I was told in the advice 
And there really is a playbook now for like for the early stage. I actually feel like now we are running out of playbook, which is quite tough because all the way up till now, there has always been, for me at least, a lot, just a lot of really good advice. So you know, mm. you start off by like throwing something up very quickly mm. and seeing how people react. You spend almost your entire time either building stuff or talking to customers. You use, you know, you do very quick learning loops. You like, you, you know, you do all this, and then there's tons of advice on fundraising and how to do a pitch deck and all that. Mm. I just read it and did it. Like there was no magic, really. I just did what I was told. Oh, and the the thing that is tough now is that um, there is a lot less advice for like, you know, we I've now raised um, fourteen million pounds. Like there is a lot less yeah. advice for businesses that have raised 14 million pounds <laughs> then there are businesses who've like not raised any money or like raised you know 500 pounds 500,000 pounds ah so you're truly winging it now <laughs> yeah I, I feel like I'm, I mean it may that, that's funny right you may you may think I was winging it now I know what I'm doing it's actually it's the other way around yeah that makes sense have you got any like favorite resources or is it literally yeah loads of them um the first round capital blog is amazing um it, they're they're a VC they're American VC and um, they do the most incredible, very long reads, like very long blogs, but they go into such depth on the topic. They're incredible. That's fun. Um, and then another one that I think you just should read everything he's ever written is Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator in the States. Oh, yeah. uh, it's actually getting a little bit old now, like it's a little bit dated. You have to take, there's a lot of things he say that are not really true anymore, but because I, he, he did most of his writing around that. I think like 2008 to 2010, mm -hmm. but a lot of the a lot of the main principles. There's one essay in particular that is called "Do Things That Don't Scale," that is is like a, an oh. absolute classic essay. <laughs> and now you hear this all the time, and now people have it's a bit like the lean startup. Like it was it was a big deal when it came out. Now like everyone, it's it's just normal now. It's like the way everyone does things. Do things that don't scale is, is, is also a bit like that. I've, I've probably read that essay like 10 times. Do you, right? Because I was listening to a podcast, I don't know if you know, it's called Masters of Scale. Yes. Insane. And the guy from Airbnb, yeah. uh, he like talks about kind of the techniques that he yeah. Uh, yeah, integrated where, where like he was really trying to get to know his customer and it was so unscalable. 100%. So Airbnb, is, Airbnb is, which came out of Y Combinator, Mm -hmm. um, so that's not a coincidence. Um, Airbnb is the poster child for do things that don't scale. Airbnb yeah. is, is Paul Graham's main example in the essay of do things that oh, don't scale. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So like you know about so um, where he he like went to New York yeah. and he tried to like knock on all of his host doors yeah. and like just like acted like he was a professional photographer just to try and get to those customers. Have you done anything somewhat compatible? Yeah, I, I took a lot of inspiration from that story and um, and couple other stories like it. I actually met um, one of the founders of Airbnb quite early on in my, joint, in my, in my journey and like tried to ask him for insight but I think I was like one of those people who was like, do you have any advice? <laughs> have any advice about startups? <laughs> oh, I need to scratch business. that question up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I like, I, I mean it was, it was cool to meet him but I think it wasn't a great conversation for him but <laughs> yeah I, so, but I was very I was very inspired by that um that story and yeah so we did uh we probably not enough actually I think my biggest my biggest regret like the biggest thing I would do differently is I would do more qualitative user research early on I think we wasted time we probably wasted about six months I think building the wrong thing because we didn't do proper qualitative research. And I now, um, like in my company now, I just put such a huge emphasis on qualitative research. Um, okay, so uh, mission statement of Corey Kids, profoundly improve the well-being of a million families in the next five years. Yeah. Right. Uh, where are you with that? How do you measure a profound impact? And what happens after a million? Uh, cool. Well, that's three questions. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, where are we with that? We're, um, I think we're making really good progress. We're super ambitious, obviously. Um, the word profoundly is really important. It, um, I think what we do is not just a superficial thing. I think a lot of startups are doing something that, um, 
is is a bit more superficial. I need to I need to figure out a way to explain this in a way to put other startups down. Like, but what I but I do think I mean I always for some reason I always think talk about shoes. I mean I, I know some people really love shoes, but like we're not making a pair of shoes. Like, it, but what we're doing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I need to find a way of saying this in a, in a nicer way. But it's like what we do is so is so fundamentally profound. Like, it is about. You, it's a, it's about whether or not you, you can have another kid. You know, it's about your like legacy as a human being. It's about where you're gonna live. Can you live in London or do you have to move out of London because you can't afford it anymore? It's about can you do can you do the career that you've trained for ten years to do? Like, which is all about your identity, your place in the world, your purpose. Like, it is so 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 fundamental childcare, and so that's what we mean by profound, profoundly improve the well being, and then. Um, yeah, when we think about well-being, um, it's it's very holistic. So we think about the well-being of the whole family. So we think about the well-being of the parents, um, and um, like trying to alleviate this unbelievably stressful period of mm. your life, which is working parenthood. And then we think about the children, and um, there's a lot of neuroscience um, evidence that what happens in the first few years of your life um, mm. it, it basically creates the brain structures that endure for the whole rest of your life. So now, you know, we're very all very aware of adult mental health and the seeds of that are all sown in childhood. So that also is a profound impact on the child's well-being. And then and then we also we don't just think about the family, we also have to think about the the nannies and the people who work um in in there as well and making sure that this is just an amazing job and um, you know, fun and rewarding and like all of those things. So it is very much a holistic mission. And after a million, two million, I guess. Yeah, right? ten million. <laughs> or, um, billions. <laughs> um, and I think you mentioned before that you would only look to expand beyond London uh, once your your product is solid and perfect and lovely. Um, I was wondering how you know when your product is perfect and also like I don't know, are you constantly iterating it, like reiterating yeah, it? Yeah, we definitely are constant, constantly iterating it. I mean, I guess the product is never done, um, mm-hmm. and we've got loads of stuff that we want to add to it. Um, so I think it's, um, it again kind of comes back to like team capacity. Um, there'll be a moment where we feel like we can expand beyond London. We definitely get a lot of demand um, for it. So it's pro- it, I think it's probably going to happen next year. Um, we've got it's kind of lightly scheduled in, um, but you know, not quite. <laughs> we can rub it out. And do you know like where you'd want to? So we think. Pro- well, I've ha- I've been approached by people all, all over the UK. Um, I think the most of the demand is probably going to be in the southeast. Um, oh. So that's probably where we'll start. Okay. So. Not not beyond the UK yet, eh? Not beyond the UK yet, although um, I definitely is something we're thinking about, mm-hmm. but not actively working on. Um, so, also, because I believe that you're developing your product to yeah. include like things like self-serve, which yes. is exciting, and like nanny sharing. Um, if you could like briefly explain what nanny sharing yeah. is. Yeah, so nanny, nanny sharing, I'm, I'm extremely excited about it. The idea of nanny sharing is that two families share the same nanny and um, their kids get looked after together at the same time. And it means that each family pays less, the nanny gets paid more, kids get to hang out together. So it's this very beautiful thing, like very much a win-win for everyone. And um, the the biggest problem with it is it's very hard for families to find each other and um, kind of know um, who the other family is that they can share the nanny with. So what we've recently built is um, a very simple um, free tool where families can sign up and uh, put in a bit of their details and then they can see other families around them who have um, compatible childcare needs and then they can go forward and um, share a nanny. And so that is, um, it's actually going live for after school um, probably next week, which is very exciting. And um, it's it's also very cool because it means that um, the nannies will get paid more, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's just all up, this win-win. Okay, Rachel, funding. <laughs> so you're very good at funding, I hear. <laughs> and um, I actually listened to this really cool TED Talk recently where uh, it was this woman whose job it is to like, try and help companies and things sort of fund. And she mentioned there are like these three uh, aspects of funding where like one is that you need to first like define your relationship with money 
which is really cool, like understand understand how you view like wealth and things. Because she was saying that like, okay, you grow up poor, you've got baggage. You grow up rich, you've got baggage. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> like really funny, right? And yeah. Then, yeah. Um, and then secondly, she said that like you have to really understand how to develop a relationship mm-hmm. because like people give money to people, they don't give money to ideas. Mm. And thirdly, she said like you have to understand how to ask for what you want. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, I, th- I thought you were going to say a completely different set of three things. Um, yeah, I, well, I've never, I've never thought, honestly, I've never thought about my relationship to money before. I, th- I mean, I, 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 I was neither poor nor rich, so my parents were um, uh, both teachers, and I, so I grew up in a small sheep farming town in the bottom of New Zealand. Classic New Zealand. Um, yeah, and it was a very um, great, wonderful place to grow up, very safe. Um, if anything, very boring, and but just basically just very safe, mm. and um, and my parents were both teachers, and so we were neither poor nor rich. We were extremely mm. middle. Um, what was the second thing? The, people don't buy from people. People buy from people. Not ideas. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Building a relationship. I do think that's absolutely key. Right, and so yeah. did it? I guess that funneled into like how you chose who you were approaching to invest. Yeah, I'm, especially actually all all. Rounds, I thought a lot about the people that I was taking investment mm-hmm. from. Um, I, we were lucky that in, in each of the three rounds we were oversubscribed, meaning we had more people who wanted to invest than we had room for investment. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a really great position to be in because it means you can choose who your investors are. So we've, I've, I've, I've been able to do that three times. And so I've been extremely selective about who is, is who gets to invest in yeah. Crocus. Yeah. And as a result, our roster of investors are freaking amazing. And I, one of the things I was very careful to do was um, do lots of due diligence before I got the um, before I took the investment. And what that means, like what that actually means in practice, is that I called around um, like founders who have those people in, investing in them, and I asked them about their experiences. And what I when I, I specifically looked for people who had had a bit of a rocky time. Yeah. And if if anyone had just been like, oh, the company's great, and we've never had a problem, I didn't really care that much about those stories because when things are going well, everyone's nice. So that doesn't tell you <laughs> anything, right? Yeah. The, what you learn from is the stories where things didn't go well. And then you really learn how people actually behave, right? Yeah. And so I specifically looked, I, I, I tried to find stories where their companies had gone badly and then really ask them, like, how did they behave? How did the investors behave mm. in that situation? And, um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, at the same time, you're kind of talking to them and, like, like, just getting a feeling for whether or not you can be, like, honest and whether you can trust these people and have this mutual relationship. And then, and then it shows. Mm. It is a bit like dating. It's a bit funny. <laughs> that's so nice you're too timing timing <laughs> that's really good and yeah I was going to say because obviously you've got multiple investors yeah so then how do the relationships kind of I mean do they have control in like how you operate and how does it conflict there's a lot of um, like what they have control over and don't is a very long list of things so you know if we uh, for example if we appoint um, people like people above a certain salary they have to agree for example so there's like very specific things like that and it's all detailed in our um in our terms and our like investment agreements um but in general um we still retain like huge amount of control and um you know so we 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 kind of there's the there's the legal right which is like you know we have the legal right to set the strategy for example but then there's kind of what you do in practice and in practice the whole reason I chose these people is because I deeply respect them and they're really good at their jobs and they're very wise mm-hmm. so I would be an idiot to ignore their advice <laughs> yeah. so I um, uh, I ask their advice a lot on various different things and you know they're just people who've seen a lot of stuff Mm-hmm. And so I ask their advice, and then um, I don't always take it. I I, I, <laughs> I usually take it, but sure. I don't have to take it. That is a very nice relationship to have. And um, asking for, uh, knowing what to ask for, mm. is that I guess that's just a product of reading and really understanding and having yeah. an amazing CFO. <laughs> I mean, this this comes back to winging it. Like sure. I think I'm I'm 
I try to be extremely um, uh, conscious of my blind spots. I try to like I try to I try to be very like consciously um, self like like surface my blind spots. Mm. So I ask I ask people for feedback quite a lot, and I try especially I try to do that with people who are quite different from me, mm. um, and I try to meet with people who have very different perspectives and different so for example I'm very I'm very unvisual I'm just not a visual person at all <laughs> and um in case you can't tell I'm like a words person mm. um, I'm not a visual person and what that means is that I have a massive blind spot around like visual design design generally like brands all that stuff and so I um <laughs> quite important yeah it is important it's important it, and so and so one of the things I try to do is is like figure out who really knows about that stuff and then and then ask, ask them for advice. Mm. Yeah, I think that comes, because you said at the moment, I think just after you raised your 10 million, very yeah. cool, um, you went in like hiding for two weeks and you were just reading and you were like, yeah, to talk to product managers. That's right, so I had this big, I know a lot more about it now, but a few months ago, um, I became aware that I had a very big gap in my understanding about um, digital product. And so I, d I had like a campaign that was like, I, I kind of made myself my own like university course, you know, <laughs> like reading and going and talking to, I just, my style is uh, oh, when I don't know something, I, I do two things. One is I, I read a lot about it. Mm -hmm. And the other one is I try and find the best people I can on that topic and best people I can possibly speak to. And then I go and speak to them. And I think when you do those things at the same time, it means you can kind of get they they help each other because your reading helps you be able to ask good questions, and then you can ask for advice on like what to read next. And then if you kind of do that really intensively, um, I think you can learn a lot in the short space of time. Um. Okay. You don't have a business partner. No. That is impressive. Um. But your husband what? With you. Yeah, so he's he has a full time job, um, but he also um, he's an investor and um, he he's just been kind of my sounding board since the very very early days of Corey Kids, and um, he he came up with a lot of the early ideas. He knows the place backwards. Sure. Um, he's actually getting a little bit less involved now, um, just because. It's growing, and he kind of he doesn't he doesn't know everything anymore. He used to it used to be that he could even even part time he could kind of see most of the main data and like, but he can't really do that anymore. So I think now he's getting a bit less involved. But he's been super super important. I think the the people who've been I've kind of had three groups of support, which has been really important. One is him. Two is my my earliest um, team members. Um, so, so Rebecca, who who became the head of marketing, she was like employee number one, mm -hmm. and um, Kitty, who was employee number two. Like those those two, you know, was just the three of us in the early days, like doing everything. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I love them both so much. Mm -hmm. And so so those guys, and then the the third um, like source of huge support has been other founders, mm. and I find. I have I have this these groups of other founders that I meet with quite regularly and um, they just really you know we're all going through like very similar stuff. It's amazing the things that are similar among, among us all. <laughs> I mean you referred to it as therapy. Didn't it you? Is therapy. <laughs> I remember because I'm not I'm not, you know I've never done therapy and I remember yeah. I did this I did this group for like I used to go I go I still I go to this group every month and I went there um, one day I've been there, going there for about a year and. One of the, one of the other founders referred to this uh, referred to the group as therapy, and I was like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't therapy." And all the other founders turned around to me and went, "Rachel, do you not realise that you've been in therapy for a year and you didn't even know?" Like, <laughs> it's like, I thought we were just chatting. Yeah. Now there are um, at least I can I, I know of at least four networks 
of founders that each set up these groups and have like a lot of these groups. So the Upscale, which is run by Tech Nation, um, ICE, which is a founders network, Founders, which is a founders network, and um, uh, what's, what's, there's another one. Oh, um, uh, YPO, which is the original one. So, and I'm sure there are others that I don't know about. And um, I think the next thing that will happen is all of these are for founders right now. And I feel like right now there's a ton of support there for founders. What I think is really missing is support for non-founders. Like it's also really hard being a member of an early stage startup team, you know? That's hard too. Like it's not really that much easier. And um, and I think that I, I'm just kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm, I kind of say this to people yeah. quite a lot. Like we've got to set up structures for everyone else now. Like founders are fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, was there anything in particular that you were looking for when you were like recruiting the early early members? So Rebecca was my first employee. And I knew what I was getting with her um, because we had worked together for like three years in a previous role, and so I knew I knew what um, I knew that she was super positive. Uh, really smart, re- really all-rounder, like she can you know, do analytics, she can write, she doesn't think she can, but she can. Um, <laughs> you know, she, she's, and, but it's more, it was more, it was both, it was a combination of being really smart and having an incredibly positive ma- mindset and of, of like, she, she'll just make it happen, like she'll just, she just resilience and persistence and I think that's what you most need in the early days. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when we got Kitty, I remember actually, I remember the, um, the, the moment I decided that we would hire specifically Kitty mm-hmm. was because she had done a, um, an, a master's in science and that meant that she was analytical, but she also had done this um, optional thing which was like a kind of, something like history of religion or like philosophy of religion or something. And when she told me about this, and she said that it was just an optional thing that you could do, that didn't she didn't really have to do it for her course, but she just did it. The fact that she did that, it told me that like she was analytical, but she was also like interested in the world. She kind of like she was a curious person. She like had this intellectual curiosity. She also quite liked to challenge because she was doing this as well as her normal thing. It just showed. It just like meant all of these things that she had done this. And she said this in a really offhand way, kind of as if it was nothing. And um, and she was also just like really nice and really personable. And you know, I I, I just thought she was great. And and so those were the reasons that I had hired her. And yeah, I think I mean, what are these the things that you're also still looking for? Yeah, I I love. I mean, like we hire people who are really smart and who are very um very real we like people who are very humble and we love people who love to learn um because we, we what we don't like is any, like anyone who is resistant to feedback or kind of comes with a mindset of like they don't have they don't have much to learn like you know i i i, I any resistance to learning basically <laughs> is like the biggest sure. turn off you can imagine because we're all just learning together mm-hmm. um yeah that makes sense and um, so I like I really wanted to ask you about the company culture because like I don't know what like working here I've just been so astounded <laughs> like honestly it's just like it made because I I worked in summer and I was just obviously like summer was like time we went to have like fun and I was like oh I need some work but I was like I love this oh. place like it's honestly there are so many like little things that you guys do so just to give you know the yeah. listeners some background so there's like you guys do stand up or at least used mm. to uh, every morning like 9 30 like anyone in the office no matter how senior or how low like everyone says what they need to do that day like maybe statistics of how the company is going which is like super cool transparency seems to be so key so you have slack just like every yeah. fun young startup <laughs> and they're like i think you're like a member of almost like all of the groups yeah it's like it's important for you to see these things there's like channels gratefulness where yeah. like people can just say how much they love each other yeah um, that's my favorite channel it's yeah such a nice channel <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah and i think you also do you do stand down every yeah. two weeks that's so really nice like, too um everyone like writes on post-it notes like who they're thankful for and then you all put up there's a lot of love there's a lot of thankfulness a lot of love i mean I, 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 one of the things that i a lot of things in the culture 
um, I've built in because I had bad experiences somewhere else, and I thought I, I didn't, I never want to, I never want to have that. And one of the things that um, I really want to, to make is I've I've been in places where um, you get promotion by basically bigging yourself up, like minimizing other people's work, like taking credit for stuff and kind of stepping on like you know that kind of that kind of behavior and um i have to say men are much better at it than women and the result is often that you have these women who are really diligent work really hard but they don't play that game nearly as well either because they don't want to or they're bad or whatever and so they get passed over and you get these like kiss ass guys who <laughs> kind of just like shoot up and everyone kind of hates them but also they become like super Your successful boss, yeah yeah and anyway it just sucks and i and so one so so i wanted to put a whole bunch of things in place so that that didn't happen and my my dream or my goal is that you can come to work and do a great job and be a great team member and get rewarded for doing that like that's what i think that's that's fair, right? Like, that's a good <laughs> workplace, you know? And so then I think, well, okay, well, how can I create that workplace? Well, one of the things is, instead of, have, instead of having to tell people what you're doing, why don't we put things in place so that we encourage people to tell people what each other are doing, right? Because that will be nicer. <laughs> and then, like, and then people will not pick themselves up because we'll create a culture where you don't do that. What you do is you big each other up. Mm. And um, and so 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 that's why we we do gratitude and stand down and some of this stuff. And then there are other things like, um, you know, transparency. We we try to have a very clear um, framework for advancement so that, you know, if one of the other things we know is that um, women are much worse at um, like asking for promotions and pay increases and stuff. So if you have a if you have a job a workplace where you get rewarded for asking for a pay rise, then you're gonna have a big gender pay gap, right? Mm. So why not just not let anyone ask for it, just outlaw, like out of cycle pay rises, still have pay rises, but have them um, according to a, like, a transparent published framework, which is fair, which everyone can see and everyone can understand. And if anyone ever says, I'm gonna leave if you don't give me a pay rise, then the answer has to be, that's very sad, I'm sorry about that. Oh. Off, you know. I hope you don't, but if you do, like no player is bigger than the team, yeah. basically. Yeah, that's really nice. I was actually speaking to my dad the other day and he said that he's had 16 bosses in his life and he was like, four have been good. Like four have been like mild to good. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I think it's like such a thing that people like, like, I don't know, to be fair in school, like you never actually taught. Like apart from what you learn on the playground, which is not representative, <laughs> you're not actually taught like like how to deal with people and like motivate yeah. them and incentivize. I want to teach my kids this. Um, yeah. Yeah, very much. I want to like. How? Because I agree. <laughs> well, I, I, I I I feel like I'm teaching my daughter how to do it with her little brother because, you know, when when if he has something that she wants, she can <laughs> just grab it right, which is going to lead to like unhappiness for everyone. Or I can say, Nibby, what do you think is going through his head? Like, em- teacher empathy, right? Like, what do, you know, <laughs> what do you Do you think there's a different thing that you could get him that he would really like? And she kind of brings something over, and I'm like, mm, I don't know. That, is he gonna like that more than what he's got? She looks at, she's like, oh no, probably. Like, oh, why don't you find something that you think he's gonna like even more than what he's got? Oh. And so she goes off and gets gets something, brings it back, and then he like goes to the new thing, and then she gets whatever he's holding, and I'm like, yeah. That situation, you know, I feel like that's kind of like management training. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You're giving me things to talk about in our interviews, honestly. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, because I recently um I've like applied to a job and like uh one of the questions is so if you could consult like leaders of like governments and like things like this on like how like give them a message to like dismantle poverty, like what would it be? And I kind of went for the whole like I think most policies at the moment. They're kind of very ideology based versus like incentives, which is actually like 
how <laughs> how people work, right? It's like, and yeah, I think a lot of people do things on principle when in reality, like your instincts and our like core human mm. nature, like actually just works. This is the difference, really, between government and startups. Like mm. startups can't mandate that anyone does anything, and ter- like the, their customers. I mean, like you have to think about everything from your customer's perspective <laughs> because yeah. you've got nothing. You've got no. You have no force. Whereas governments can just force people to yeah. do stuff. <laughs> yeah, and like obviously we live in a democracy, but like things are kind of, our choice is limited. And yeah. And we can't really control these things. But yeah, um, yeah, you know what I heard? This is quite cool. It said, like someone said, don't ever take advice from someone that you wouldn't trade places with. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm n- not sure. I don't know if I agree though, but. Well, I don't think I'd take. I don't think I'd trade places with almost anyone. Like uh, right now, I mean, I'm just, I just. I love what I do, and I love. Not that it's not hard. I mean, it's. I, I like. I was working till two a.m. last night. You know, and then my baby wake up. Wake up at six. Like it's not that it's not hard, but it's. It is very hard. But I don't. There's nothing else I want to be doing. I, I wouldn't want anyone else's life. So, um, and I certainly take a lot of advice from a lot of people. Actually, one thing I've learned recently. Um, in the last couple of years is um, I, I don't really value advice as much now as I value experiences and so when I, um, when I ask people I, I usually now say have you ever had any experiences like this and then I'll describe something and I'm, what I'm, looking, I'm looking for their story of what happened to them because I find that when they um, if, if someone says to you I don't know like never take never take investment from European investors right like that's such a broad I mean I just made that up but like that's such a broad sweeping statement like it's not useful because you can't evaluate like like why are they saying it on what basis you can't you, you don't know what to do with that broad sweeping statement but if they said I took advice I took investment from an investor based in Berlin and um. they expected me to go to Berlin all the time and it was really expensive and very distracting, and the la- the cultural ba- language barrier made made it so that I never really got anything out of that relationship. Sure. And also, I you know, and they, if they tell you this story, right, then you can be like, oh, okay, I can take something from that. You can actually learn something useful yeah. from it. So I found that a, a lot of the time now, when I when I hear people saying like advice, things framed as advice, I'm kind of interrupting them. I'm like, did you have an experience? Like, is there a story behind that? I, I, I'm always asking, like, is there a story behind that? Is there oh, a story yeah, behind that? I like that. That's why, but I think I think that's also why people don't actually like books. Like, <laughs> right, because, like, there's no, like... They're reading the wrong books. No, <laughs> that is true, too, yeah. Yeah, is there, like, a source for you to, like, how do you know which books to find? I ask people, I, so when I was doing that product thing with, of, like, um... Uh, learning about product, I was meeting with like the most senior product people I could get to talk to me, and I was asking them what books should I read, and then I would buy the books. I would like I would like walk out immediately buy the books. They would arrive the next day on Amazon. I'm like read them. Go <laughs> to the next person. Jesus, you're like a machine to learn. Oh my god. Um, okay, some probing questions maybe. Mm. What would you change about human nature? Wow. Um, I would, I would make people, um, more willing to change their minds, Hmm. more open-minded. And is that because, what's your experience behind that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's the story behind it? I think, um, it, it's a funny thing about human nature, it's a funny thing we do. If I, if I say to you, um that like uh, I don't know um, ants there are some ants that herd aphids um, and like farm them and milk them right like they're small cows um, and then um, someone else tells you the same story but it's cockroaches instead of ants you're more likely to believe the ant story because I told it to you first right ah. <laughs> even though it's not um, just because I told you first, like, who says I'm more credible than the second person, right? Yeah. But there's something about, like, things get, like, the way neural pathways form, they get solidified or something, and it's it's just yeah. harder to change your mind than it is to make, than it is to form that, that opinion in the first place. And that is irrational. 
That's so true. <laughs> I think it's weird because that those kind of things, like obviously when you get advice when you're like young, so you have to almost like you act you act on it, and then you kind of like you're on this like path dependency almost yeah. that you're like, well, it's actually set up quite a lot for me, so I can't actually like change that because then you're like pushing down a massive system in your mind. Yeah, that's very true. And it's also like when I have a conversation with my grandma, she's like. You don't know anything. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, I don't know. And it's a bit, it's really weird contrast because obviously so much has changed. Like, well, everything's changing at the moment. Yeah. Maybe that's making people more open minded. Maybe. I mean, education definitely makes people more open minded. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this is obviously also about our politics now. Like, people are, it's so much more polarised. You know, I remember I was at I was at high school in the nineties, and I don't want to know what you were doing in the nineties. Partially, partially unborn or something, but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't even want to be embarrassed. I'm not gonna say it. Yeah. When were you born? Nineteen ninety nine. There you go. Mostly unborn. I, I freaking. I was. I was nineteen in nineteen ninety nine. I, I like. I had, I had one at the millennium. You missed the millennium. Like there you go. That. You were like getting your nappy change or something. Yeah, you, by the looks of it, I thought you were born in 1992. <laughs> All right, we'll keep that in it. <laughs> so, but anyway, but I, but the positive, the point is like I remember a time when politics was not divisive and when society was not polarized. And right. there was in the in the mid 90s. Um, I was really always really into politics, even when I was at high school, and then I did my undergrad degree in politics, so I was like very engaged. And um, uh, it was politics was seen as very boring, and there was complete consensus. And like the main criticism was that uh, in, you know in the states at that time was that there was no difference between the Democrats and the Republicans; they were essentially exactly the same. And it is so weird to think about that now. Can't even imagine. I know, right? But that was That's- it really quite interesting mm. does this make you feel i don't know i feel like people also talk about this like like brexit and trump and things they see it's like an inevitability because like almost i actually wrote this in my notes like i think that people's attention spans are so short they're like if they hear this like amazing like news article that's like oh my god so shattering like you'll be outraged and you'll probably share it and you'll change your profile mm-hmm. picture but if it's still going on in like three months like yeah you're kind of like updating your news app like what's it what else what yeah is? totally i if you heard it referred to as the attention economy Ooh. so the idea is that right now the biggest the, the most important currency is attention because we only have a limited amount of attention and so everything's just trying to get our attention and I, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, rem- I remember, again, like, <laughs> I sound like you're showing your age. No, I know, I know, but it's, it's, but I think it's fascinating. I remember when the, in- I mean, I, I remember the, the internet coming in, right? I mean, the internet arrived in my town in 1996, like, I was 16 and you know, my generation had an analog childhood and a digital, like, teenage and, like, a, like early adulthood. And and we all, everyone my age remembers the shift. And um, I remember the way it was talked about. And, and people were predicting, like, very wise people, I think, were saying, um, this will, we will one day have, um, you'll one day have your own newspaper. It'll be the newspaper of you. And it will um, have only in it things that you're interested in, and this will be the breakdown of like societal consensus because you'll just have everyone will read their own newspaper. And I remember hearing this and like being like, "What? That's never going to happen." And it's totally happened. Like that's what Twitter is. You know, that's that like that's literally literally what it is. Like like my you know the news I read will be very different to the news that you read because we're different people. Like you read the newspaper of you and I read the newspaper of me. It's happened. And it's very scary. And it's totally (laughs) causing the the breakdown of consensus. Hundred percent. Because we're all stuck in our echo chamber. Yeah 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 yeah. In our own like yeah. I actually asked my friends this recently, Rachel. I was like, how many people do you actually have that are different to you in your life? And I was like. We all, like, when we talk about politics, we all agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's very awful, like, discourse. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, yeah. Um, okay, uh, favourite company slash organisation? Um, <laughs> I really like Greenpeace. That okay. might be a bit, um, a bit 
uh, unexpected. The reason I love Greenpeace is because I I really like um, like operational execution, and I think all, in the charity world they are just excellent at what they do. They're just mm. like superb at it. And one of the things that they I, I really admire, I think, I think there's lots of charities that are quite fuzzy and find it hard to focus on like a small number of priorities. And Greenpeace is just incredibly strategic, and they they just nominate a very small number of extremely specific things, and then they go after them and they make them happen. I oh. think that's amazing. Are you trying to? I, I, I did. I like used to do it. I did a tiny bit of activism with Greenpeace back in the day. Oh. Oh yes. Okay. I I completely understand that you are very busy and I've taken up too much of your time. <laughs> right. But just uh, one more one more thing is that you've obviously had such a weird background. <laughs> like you've done linguistics and social yeah. development, health. Like I don't know. But do you kind of understand how this is all shaping in to help you with? Your business and child. Well, there's definitely like never it. been a master plan. Sure, <laughs> like, yeah. There's no, there's no like strategic plan. Um, I just do things that I think are really interesting and worthwhile. And I, my basic philosophy is, um, I think you you only get given one life, but if you live it intensely enough, then it is a bit like having lots of lives. <laughs> that was very nice. Um, happy to end there if you are. Yeah, okay. amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this episode is finally over. Thanks to all of you who stuck it out and tune in next time for more delicious content.